Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. My goals are simple. My goals are to provoke parents to be better parents. For our youth to marry as high as they can spiritually, like Elkanah did. To prepare couples that don't have any children yet, that they can start off from the first day doing as Elkanah and Hannah did. And to build zeal for Christ's kingdom as the all-important thing in our lives. Because that's how Hannah looked at it. And that is why and, and the terms of her commitment of Samuel to the Lord are uniquely convicting and, and wonderful. You're there at First Samuel chapter 1. Let me read to you some precious words out of the 31st chapter of Proverbs that are often ignored. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows. That is the love of a mother for her children. That's the love of a mother for her son. That is the love of a queen mother for her son, King Lemuel. And it goes on as this woman lays out the law of her mouth to her son, its king, on how he ought to conduct himself in his personal life when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to women, and what kind of a woman he ought to marry, and how he ought to always protect the poor, and not just to make friends with the rich and famous in his exalted office. Wonderful chapter. Starts out with a mother's love. It's all written by a mother, and it's great. Listen, for many of us here, for many of us here, And God knows and my wife knows how many tears and screams I have had in the last couple of days in particular about it being too late for me as a father in certain respects. And I have brothers and sisters sitting in this assembly and it's too late. So we do damage control. We beg God for mercy. And we try to invest in the children that are scattered throughout this congregation that may not have our last names. And we try to invest in our grandchildren. And may God help us to do that and have mercy upon us. I wish I had my children back so much. You don't wish that you could have yours back any more than I wish that I could have mine back. And that we could be more like Elkanah and Hannah. Let me clear that air. We emphasize fathers in this church because the Bible emphasizes fathers. But it's mothers that get the formative years of children. Most of a person's character is already formed by five. And I'm being liberal. Fathers take over then after weaning and they fill that character with knowledge. When the Bible says, fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that is instruction with the details. The character is taken from mother's breast and mother's arms, and mother's daily instruction when the child is with their mother so much more than the father is, then the father takes over. I'm just going to lay that out there for you. It's truth. It's understood. And mother has her role in the front end in character development with the little laws of how they share toys and how they obey and how they do this or that at a very young age. Then it's dad that fills in all the details over the coming years of how to think wisely and how to do wisely in situations that a young child can't even comprehend. We emphasize fathers, but mothers have a very important role and it's in the Bible and I don't neglect it. I just try to keep it in its proper place. Let's do what we can. Those of us that have our children gone and wish they were back so we could do it again, let's try to invest in the rest of this church and encourage those that are, that are here with us. The best decision that Elkanah ever made was to marry Hannah. Behind every great man, there's a great woman. And it's more the mother than it is the wife. And let's remember some of those things that we've learned in proverb commentaries. Because of the time, I'm going to have to go a little faster and a little differently than I had planned to, but that doesn't change anything. I still love Thanksgivings in the house of the Lord. And you can get up here as often as you want to. As long as it's God-glorifying, we're going to do it in this church. We can we can make up at other times for things that we want to cover and need to cover. Let's first of all consider Hannah's situation very quickly. 
Hannah was married into a polygamist situation where her husband had another wife named Peninnah. And Peninnah had multiple sons and multiple daughters. Verse 4 tells us that. When the time that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters. So it wasn't just that Peninnah had one child before Hannah had any. She had two or more sons and she had two or more daughters. You know, it's sickening to me sometimes when I hear wives complaining about their situation in a 21st century marriage. How would you like to be Hannah in polygamy? Oh, oh, I hear it. I hear it. Here's the modern woman. Well, I'd never marry anybody that practiced polygamy. That's why you would stay at home with daddy the rest of your life. That arrogance is what makes the American, the modern woman so pitifully weak in comparison. You didn't have a choice. The greatest men were polygamous in the Old Testament. It's wrong. But my point being, think about the lives that these women led. And when you get worried about your circumstances or think that your situation is somewhat difficult, you can think about it from many aspects, but I'll tell you something. Every aspect gives you the benefit here in the 21st century. Let's think about Hannah that way. Elkanah was a good man. You know, when I, when I see the polygamy, I know that it's wrong in the Bible. And yet God allowed it in, in the lives of so many of his favorite men. But Elkanah was a good husband. Elkanah let Hannah make that vow, didn't he? He could have said one two-letter word and ended the whole thing. It didn't matter how long she'd cried about it. It didn't matter that Eli was involved in it. It didn't matter that she had made a vow to the Lord for it. Do you all understand that Numbers chapter 30, all he would have had to do is say, no, I've given away my firstborn son out of your womb, and it would have been over. But he let her do that. He let her not accompany the family on family vacation every year when they went to Shiloh to practice Deuteronomy 14 with the 10% of gross income. They didn't go. Hannah stayed at home because she wasn't going to go to Shiloh until she went for the last time with Samuel to drop him off there. You know, Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Peninnah. And as one brother has stood up already and said, Elkanah told Hannah, am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, yes and no. The love was wonderful that Elkanah loved Hannah more than Peninnah, but every woman wants children, especially in that culture. They'd had to have children. Rachel would cry out, give me children else I die. Genesis chapter 30. And the envy that was between Rachel and Leah over childbirth Proverbs chapter 30 tells us that there's several things that are not satisfied in the earth, and one of them is a barren womb. And no matter how much Elkanah loved Hannah, he couldn't replace the fact that she hadn't had any children. And Elkanah's love for Hannah resulted in the fact that every time they went on this family vacation, when they got to Shiloh, it was a family vacation. And it was overnight, it was an extended stay, because they had to burn up 10% of gross income from Deuteronomy 14. That's why you'll read about them slaying bullocks, but it's not, it's not offered as sacrifice. They're eating them. And that's when Hannah wouldn't eat. She wouldn't participate in it, because she was so grieved. Because here we have the family table. The family table is set, there's olive plants round about it. Psalm 128 and Psalm 127. Thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord, and Hannah hasn't contributed a single olive plant. And so Elkanah realizes that poor Hannah is feeling sorry. Look at the look on her face. So he goes around and gives Peninnah a portion, and he goes and gives her son, and her son a portion, and a daughter, and a daughter a portion. And then it takes four servants to bring out the wheelbarrows and give her a worthy portion. It was like Benjamin sitting at the table of Joseph in the land of Egypt. Uh, would somebody tell me how much better the portion was? Five times. Reuben, Sibian, Levi, Judah, in order, from oldest to youngest. And then all of a sudden, here come the wheelbarrows for Benjamin. And so Elkanah would bring out the wheelbarrows for Hannah. Now, did that help Hannah? Uh, no, it didn't help Hannah. It was a nice token from her father, but what it did was provoke Peninnah. And if you read this, and the details of it should be obvious to you, it provoked Peninnah because it was obvious that Her husband loved Hannah more. And the portion provoked her, so she would provoke Hannah on these family vacations. 
What a family vacation. Sherry and I have had enjoyment thinking about a family vacation with two wives. I speak as a fool. Every man's foolish fantasy to have a harem like Solomon. They are idiots. The God of heaven is the master of sex, love, and marriage. And he says, one man, one woman, forever. Right. It's very simple. And if you haven't got the most out of your one man, one woman, forever, it's your fault, not God's fault. Right. And it's probably not her fault. It's your fault. You don't know how to love a woman. And you don't keep it up. But Elkanah was a good man. I don't want to criticize him very much. You know, we, we might think that he should have protected Hannah more, but you know, he thought he was protecting Hannah. The way I love you, am I not better than ten sons? Look at the portion I gave you. But the portion provoked a lot of the grief that was in her soul. They're at one of these family vacations in Shiloh, and she can't take it any longer, and she goes to the Lord, and she begs the Lord, and she promises what she'll give him if the Lord will have mercy on her and shut her enemy's mouth. You say, Hannah didn't think like that. Oh, yes, she did. Have you read her prayer? Have you read the first verse of her prayer? Her prayer is wonderful. This enemy plagued her all the days of her life. Can you imagine when Elkanah was at business and Peninnah and Hannah were left at home alone? And she prays for the Lord to vindicate her and have mercy upon her. I love her. I love her vow as it's given in verse 11 of chapter 1. Did you know she calls herself a handmaid three times in one sentence? <laughs> that is a humble woman. That's like Solomon praying to the Lord to give him a wise and understanding heart, and he's just a little child and doesn't know how to go out or to come in. She calls herself a handmaid and asks the Lord to look on the affliction of his handmaid and to remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. She says handmaid, 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 because she was just the Lord's servant. And this is the way we always ought to pray. I want you to remember when we think about her circumstances that her womb was closed up by the Lord. It says it twice. It tells us that in verse 5. It tells us that in verse 6 that the Lord shut up her womb. The circumstances of your life are by the decree of heaven when there are things like this that you can't control. And even in the ones where we have played the fool and there's consequences to bear, the Lord didn't hold us back from it. And while we're responsible, we understand that everything is under the control of God, but especially the things we can't control. She was trying to conceive, but she couldn't conceive because the Lord was putting through her through a trial. Now in the end, would you rather be Peninnah, who had the children first, and the shame of 3,000 years of Scripture? Or would you like to be Hannah, that had the children in the end, and the glory? And we have, a, we have girls in our church named after Hannah, and named after Anna, that is Greek for Hannah. And, and Hannah means grace. The Lord closed up her womb. You say, why would the Lord do that to the better woman in that marriage? He's God and you're on earth. And the answer is in Job 33 and verse 12. Right. God is greater than man. Amen. Don't ever bark against Him. Don't even ask why. Just submit to it and love Him for it. He's got a blessing in store if you'll submit to it. She begged the Lord, if you haven't forgotten your handmaid, give me a man-child. And she says this, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Now this was a Levitical family. But in a Levitical family, you only had to serve from 25 to 50. This boy is going to serve his entire life from the first day on. And he's not going to just be a Levite. He's going to be a Nazarite his entire life. I will never cut his hair, meaning he's going to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. This boy never had a raisin. When the other children were eating raisins in the sandbox, and I doubt if Hannah had her boy in the sandbox very often with the neighborhood children, but when the little mother came out and passed out raisins, Samuel didn't get them. And when they got their hair cut off every few months, Samuel's hair was never cut off. Now, have you seen little Mary Grace or any, any other three-year-old in here? And do you know what a three-year-old boy would look like if his hair was never cut? But do you know what it was a reminder of every single time? He was dedicated to the Lord from his mother's womb. And I want us to, listen, my, my sermon is so simple. I want us to think about every child in this church as being dedicated to the Lord. Right. 
We're not going to have Samuels that are going to be like Samuel in the job that he had. But we can have children that are like Samuel in the character that we try to train into them and the priority that we set for their lives. Let's have many Samuels, male and female. It doesn't matter. We want character that pleases God. And we want to invest to get that character. And we want to pray for that character. And we want to think about that character from the first day. Do you know that the Bible says in Psalm 22 about David and the Lord Jesus Christ, I was made to hope while on my mother's breast. My mother talked to me about the Lord Jesus Christ when I was in her womb. My mother sang to me about the Lord Jesus Christ when I was not yet born. I want you you, you young people here that don't even have children, I, I envy you like you wouldn't believe to be able to start over. I wish I had been a better father. It's a great grief to me. And all of you that are thinking similar thoughts, I understand. And you say, well, you should be thankful. I'm not thankful. Because I know what the Lord showed me, taught me, and what I should have done and could have done. I want us to think about these children from the moment that we get them. The moment that they're conceived, the nine months that they're in the womb, the moment that they're born. You young parents, Jerry back there with two little girls, Matthew, Philip, Joel. Oh, don't get mad at me, anybody. Where's that Roger Green? Who's training him to be a Samuel? Is there an Elkanah and a Hannah in his life? Just be excited about it with me and humble ourselves before the Lord. This isn't that deep. And I'm not going to take all that long, but I want you to think about Hannah's situation and the kind of vow that she made to the Lord. Eli came along to her, and you know the exchange there. He thought she must be drunk because there was no noise coming out, but her mouth was moving, and she was obviously worked up. She wasn't drinking at all. She was in the Spirit, praying to the Lord. And Eli said, The Lord grants you your request. And she went home, and they jumped in the marital bed, and they had sex, and she conceived. And she had a son, and she named him Samuel. Asked of the Lord. There's an L on the end of that name. Shemuel. L. For Elohim. And the Bible tells us that. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't need Strong's Concordance. It tells you right there what the word Samuel means. Because I have asked him of the Lord. And you can look on the end of the the word and see that there's a name of God involved. Right. And so she, that's verse 20 of chapter 1. She called him Samuel. And Elkanah, he was a good man. Did, does it tell you over and over that they went up every year to, the, to Shiloh every year? Were they faithful? He was a faithful father. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And yep, he'd take both wives and all their children up to serve the Lord. This is the situation. Now Hannah had told Hannah was not going to take him to the Lord until she weaned him. This is in verse 22, Hannah went not up with Elkanah after the birth of Samuel. For she said unto her husband, this is 22 of chapter 1, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. What a good man. What a good relationship they had. There's so much that can be said about the character of Hannah in winning the heart of this man. Why did Elkanah loved Hannah more than Peninnah. Peninnah gave him all the children. The farmhands were from Peninnah. His wealth, as measured by children, was from Peninnah. Why did he love Hannah more? Proverbs 11.16 tells me, A gracious woman retaineth honor. She was a gracious, godly, wonderful wife to him, and he loved her more. And everything that we read about her is consistent with that. But I don't have time to go into some of the details that we could enjoy. I want to talk about weaning for a minute. You know, we're all confused in this country because we think that women have done a great job if they nurse for six months. Don't don't anybody take me wrong. You know I haven't nursed a child yet, and I'm not planning on it in the next decade or two. But in America, to to read some of the things and, and to hear some of the things I'm about to tell you is kind of troubling. Weaning in the Bible, the best estimate for it is five years of age. Now, how do we prove that from a Bible? Well, we can't, we can't, well, we can. We can prove that Isaac was weaned at five. 
You say, I'd like to hear about that. Okay. God made the first promise to Abraham 430 years before the law was given. Then he told Abraham there'd be 400 years that they would have to dwell in a nation that wasn't theirs and be persecuted. And there was 25 years of that between Abraham's ages of 75 and 100. And if you do the math, and I'm not going to repeat it, because I probably couldn't, but I'm not going to repeat it. Isaac was weaned at the age of five. And on that day that he was weaned, Abraham threw a huge feast in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 8. When you look at the value of children in the, in the tax system of Israel, zero to five were in one category. Then it was five to 20 men. Do you remember that night when we went into Leviticus chapter 27 and saw the different right. points in time where the Lord measures a child? The first five years were separated from five to 20. Do you yep. Then 20 to 60 and 60 and beyond. Okay, there's that passage. There's a passage in the days of Hezekiah where Hezekiah asked for donations to be made to support the Levites above the age of three. Sustenance, food, and drink for the Levites above three. So it could be three from that passage. It could be five from Leviticus 27. It is five in Isaac's case. And you know what? In cultures, in other cultures of the world, especially back in this time, it was two years to six years. See, I just can't imagine that. I know. I know I can't think of a boys riding a bike up to the front door, dropping their bicycle, and then running in the house and asking for lunch. And what they mean is, but you know, that's in our mentality. And I'm not trying to make fun of it. Right. My wife, who was a midwife for some very conservative, natural-only type women in this county and surrounding counties in years gone by, knew women that... that nursed until a child was five or six years old. But there's no more time to spend on that. Let's pick five. I'm being merciful. He might have been three. Last night I jumped up, told my wife to close her eyes because I was going to turn the lights on. I took a survey of our church and found out the, the 21 children that are four years of age and, un, and under, Emma and Grace, too old. You're five and a half. You didn't make the cut. Too late for you. Your character's already formed. I hope it's been formed well. I thought deeply about you yesterday. I believe it's been formed well. Now Daddy gets to fill in the details. Mommy, you have a serious job. So much of it is formed by five. This little boy was dropped off at the tabernacle at five, maybe three, but let's go with five. And had Mommy done a good job? She had done a good job. I want us all to do a good job. And where we didn't do a good job, let's ask God for mercy and tell Him that we're thankful for the children He gave us and help us to know what we ought to do to be better as parents and grandparents removed from those children in our homes with us. Hannah's character. She won the heart of a godly man. Her husband loved her for traits that were worth more to him than other children. His response to her crying and sorrow indicated that she did it in a godly manner. When her spirit was grieved and overwhelmed within her, what did she do? She went to the rock that was higher than her. Her prayer for a child was in deep humility to God as she called herself a handmaid and His sovereign might toward her as a handmaid. Her prayer was bold. Give me a man-child. You give me a man-child because a man-child can serve you better. In the house of the Lord in Shiloh, I will give him back to you his entire life, and I will raise him from the moment he is born under the strictest rules of the Nazarite. The strictest way of living as a Jew was to be a Nazarite. You couldn't drink wine. You couldn't drink grape juice. You couldn't have raisins. You couldn't eat a grape. There were certain things that God had cut off from them, not because there's anything wrong with wine, grape juice, grapes, or raisins, but just to set them apart for the discipline, they couldn't cut their hair, and God wants the hair on men's heads cut, cut, except for a Nazarite. Because they would stick out and be distinct and different. That was a great commitment on her part. We're just talking about her character for a minute. She vowed a great vow to the Lord in her appeal for His mercy, which is an act of worship according to the Bible. And she wasn't thinking about turning over delinquent to Eli for raising him at 17 at Shiloh, she was going to wean him and turn him over, and she was going to have him ready when he was weaned. That is a wonderful ambition for this woman. What great character. And she kept her vow. She kept her vow exactly as she had given it to the Lord. She believed the man of God. When the man of God said, the Lord give you the request of your heart, she believed him. Because she went over to the family table and ate some of the food, and it says, 
She was no more sad. Showing her character. Look at her prayer. In the first ten verses of chapter 2, Hannah prayed. It's a prayer of praise. It's glorious. You read the, the, the mother of our Lord in Luke chapter 1 and 2 when she met her cousin Elizabeth and they were discussing the great things the Lord had done to them. The, the language of Mary is similar to this language. The language of David is like this language. I read this prayer and I've read this prayer for many, many years and I've thought to myself, David, did you take lessons for writing the Psalms from Hannah's prayer? Glorious prayer. Young men, this is the kind of woman you want to marry. A Hannah. She's very rare. But the Lord's able to provide them and bring them along. This is the mother that you want for your children. One of the most glorious things that a girl, a wife, can ever say to her, to her husband is, I want to have a child for you. That's one of the most wonderful things that she can ever say. But you want it to be said like this. Because just having children is what junkyard dogs do. Please, let's do it with mothers like this. And every mother, I just want to encourage you to be a mother like this. I'm grieving with you if you think it's too late. Let's just trust the Lord and thank Him for His Word and do what we can and ask Him to show us what we can do better. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn, her position, her power and influence in the home. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. This isn't getting saved and getting her name in the book of life. This is getting saved from being barren and not having children. Her enemy is Penina. And her, and Penina's children and the trouble that she bore in that family. She's thankful to the Lord. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. From her heart to her horn to her mouth being exalted. There is none holy as the Lord. Look at her love of the holiness of God. For there is none beside thee. She switches from second person to, from third person to second person to third person. Neither is there any rock like our God. She addresses God in the middle of that second person in the, in the, in the second verse in the second person. As she's speaking to God directly. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. Oh, she's praying to the Lord. She's praising the Lord. About the Lord in the third person. To the Lord in the second person. Hear her. Know her as a mother. I want our children this church to grow up knowing that their mothers are praying mothers and praising mothers like Hannah. And that the grandmothers are praying grandmothers and praising grandmothers like Hannah. Verse 3, Talk no more so exceeding proudly. She's talking about Peninnah. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. You say that sounds so arrogant. It's not arrogant. David would say that the Lord had blessed him for his faithfulness and his righteousness. In Psalm 18, And this woman knows that her character was to love the Lord her God. See, this Penina didn't have much love for God because she didn't have any love for Hannah. You can't have love for God and hatred for your brother or your sister. And so Hannah's just saying that she's thankful that she has a God that measures real character. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by Him actions are weighed. And it's okay for you to talk to the Lord that way if you're living a righteous life. David was living a righteous life. He could say it. Paul lived a righteous life. He could say, I labored more abundantly than they all. Nehemiah could say, Lord, Lord, how many times did Nehemiah say, look on me for good? Well, that's yes, that is correct way to think. And if you don't think that way, you have a problem of misunderstanding the Bible. That is humility. You say it doesn't sound humble because you haven't read the Bible enough yet. That is Nehemiah reminding the Lord of all the things he had done for him and that he would continue to do for him and asking the Lord to give him help by looking on him for good. That's all in verse 3. Verse 4, The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. You know, the Lord is able to reverse military action. He's able to reverse wars. He's able to reverse all kinds of situations. And so Hannah's prayer moves into those reversals. They that were full 
Those that had just all they could eat, those that were full, have hired themselves out for bread. I mean, they're working now just to get a piece of bread. And they that were hungry ceased. So that ceased eating. They're stuffed. They're full. Even though they had been hungry. The barren hath borne seven, and she hath many children, she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The reversal of fortune that the Lord is able to make. This is part of the prayer that we give to the Lord, the praise that we give to the Lord of how He's able to do great and marvelous things. We can look back in our lives and see the failures that we've made, the sins that we committed, the faults that we had, and God overrules them so many times for our good. Jerry was in the pulpit today praising the Lord for overruling him. He referred to it as arresting him because of a song that we sing. And so Hannah is doing the same. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. She's dealing with his sovereign power and dominion over the lives of men. He can kill, he can make alive. He bringeth down to the grave and he bringeth up. This is immediately after she gives Samuel to Eli. Because verse 11 is going to tell us, And Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. And this is squeezed right in there at the time she took Samuel to Eli. Verse 7, The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among princes. Oh, she's now starting to prophesy, isn't she? She's getting so worked up in the spirit. She's describing what happened to David. He was taken from the sheep coats and put over the nation of Israel. She's talking about herself. She's talking about Mary. She's talking about Joseph. Oh yeah, she's going to get there. She's going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ because she's getting lifted up in the spirit out of her love and devotion and humility to a sovereign God of heaven who had blessed her abundantly. And so she opened her mouth with praise to thank Him. And what's she thanking Him for? She had a little baby. Are all of you mothers thankful that you had a little baby? To set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He hath set the world upon them. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, are the positions of authority, especially civil, that the Lord puts to uphold nations. And Samuel was going to be a gigantic pillar for the nation of Israel for 20 years. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. It doesn't matter how great and mighty they might look in the flesh, the man that puts his trust in the Lord is going to win. And she knew that, and she had trust in the Lord all her life, and she knew that she was about to be blessed to the degree that we knew to the degree to the degree that she knew what was coming we don't know but it's hinted at in these words about the greatness of Samuel and if you'll go back and think about something that's in verse 23 where Elkanah said only the Lord established his word now he'd already com- he'd already fulfilled his word about Hannah conceiving Samuel so why is Elkanah saying to Hannah only the Lord establish his word There is implications there of something greater for this little boy. He's not going to be an ordinary little boy. He is going to be special. And then in Hannah's prayer in verse 8, about putting him on the throne of glory, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And then verse 10, now she's worked up to a feverish pitch at the end of this prayer. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. If she was referring to King Saul, she was referring to the firing of her son. Because her son was fired. So that the nation could have a king. Oh, she's looking past that king. She's looking to the next dynasty. And she's looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much more that could be said about her prayer. Let's just think about her mothering for just a little bit. We'll quit. How much character is formed by five for the point here to have any value? Some say the majority of character is formed by five. That, of course, is not knowledge. Knowledge has to come later. Knowledge comes by all the instruction that a father is supposed to give from that time forward where he takes over the lead role because he takes the time with them. Morning, when they're traveling by the way, at night, in the verses of the Bible where the Bible, come to me, my children, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And that's details. But the formation of character, 
the, the formation of character by sharing, by loving God, by loving His Word, by being obedient, by being quick to go do something, those things are taught before you're 15 years old. You know, don't try to think that that's something you can learn in high school. Either you have taught that to your children when they were young or they're not going to get it. It's knowledge that comes later. It's the details that comes later. It's the practical working out of character in daily life that daddy is responsible for. Hannah committed to God before conception that her son would be trained the strictest way possible from when? I'll send him to the best schools. Do you know how mothers talk today? We want to send our children to the best schools. The best schools still serve the same fare. It's F-A-R-E. Garbage. We want to take these children from birth and teach them. I give you again Psalm 22 and verse 9. I was made to hope while on my mother's breast. If you're nursing a child till he's five years old, that's a lot of time to talk while a child is very content and very secure and knows that he's very loved and he's hearing from his mother wonderful things. The law of kindness was in her mouth and there was a law in her mouth as well. And he was learning it. She was ready at five years of age for that little boy to work and serve the priests at Shiloh. I want to tell you something. Shiloh wasn't a daycare. She was not going to take a burden to Eli, who would have to be a surrogate father for Samuel. Do you understand all that? He was going to be able to help Eli. He was going to be able to minister to the Lord and serve the Lord at five. He was ready at five to worship the Lord his God. Now look back at chapter 1 and see the Holy Spirit just wanting to encourage us along in this study. How about the last clause of verse 24? Let's get verse 24. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And look what the Holy Spirit wants you to remember. The child was young. Even if you say five, the child was young. You know, when I hear, please don't, don't anybody, just, I just want you to think. When I hear, that children can't even, aren't even capable of spending a night away from home, at the age of four or five, it really rattles me because that is a very immature child. This child, at five, waved goodbye to its mother and stayed there with Hannah, with, stayed there with Eli for the rest of his life. Let's be thinking about expecting a little bit more of maturity and a little bit more of spirituality out of children then this generation allows them. You know, people write us and say, what do you do with your children? I had one the last couple weeks. What do you do with your children during worship? Because the whole world has junior church or Sunday school to entertain them with graham crackers and milk and cutout figures of Moses in the bulrushes. And you know, our children sit here. And the Bible would say, the ones with understanding from, say, five years of age and up, they stood in the street before the water gate in Nehemiah chapter 8 and heard them read in the Word of God distinctly. Don't let the world set the standards for how mature your children can be. Don't, don't even let that influence you. The child was young and she said goodbye to the child and she turned him over to an old man. This man was very old. Bye-bye, Samuel. And you know, and every year, yes, she came and brought him a coat. Its size was L, and it didn't stand for large. What did it stand for? She brought him a little coat. It tells us that in chapter 2, verse 19, Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Now this is your child spending the night for 365 nights. With grown men, an old man, and the old man wasn't a very good father, and the man's sons were terrible men. Terrible influence. 
that she'd been, Hannah had done her job as a mother. Because now I get to my favorite sentence in the life of Samuel and Hannah. And it's the last sentence of verse 28. And he worshipped the Lord there. And he worshipped the Lord there. Can a five-year-old worship the Lord? Can a five-year-old spend the night at an old man's house and not scream because they're so immature? Yes and yes are the answers to both questions. And he worshipped the Lord there. This little boy had been taught to pray. You mommies, do your children know that you're praying mothers? Do you pray with them? Have you taught them about loving God? Have you taught them about reading a verse of Scripture and meditating on it, lifting up their eyes to heaven and blessing Him and thanking Him out loud and telling Him that you love Him? And they learn to tell Him that they love Him. By five, have the work done. You've taught them how to worship the Lord and let Daddy fill in the details. Just a wonderful example in our Bibles. Samuel's in bed and the lights are out. He's not screaming for mommy. He's very quiet. And Eli is in his bed. And a voice comes from heaven. Samuel. Samuel. What does he do? Does he get scared? Does he cry? I need the verb. He ran! Where did he learn that? You say, Eli taught him. Oh, no, Eli didn't teach him. Eli couldn't teach boys. Look at his own sons. Hannah taught him. When there's a call, you come running. Do you teach your children that? Do they do it cheerfully? How many times do you have to call them? Let's just think through some of the things that are told us here. But he worshiped the Lord at five, or he worshiped the Lord at four. Grace, I've thought a lot about you the last day or two. You have a great mom and a great dad. Molly, you're the one that mommy better go home thinking about. I've been thinking about you a lot as well the last couple of days, and I'm not, I'm true, I'm, I have, because that family right there has a couple that are five and a half, and they're too old for what we're talking about here, but Molly's just right. And I want us all to be thinking that way. And you know, these little children that are walking around in our church, I hope that we all love them, even if they don't have our last name. Let's encourage their parents. Let's encourage their grandparents. Let's let them know that they're loved here. Let's encourage them in worshiping the Lord. Who taught him to run in response to a request by his master after everyone had gone to bed? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He hears it again. Off to Eli. Here's it again. Off to... Oh, Eli says it must be the Lord. Now, Samuel, it's not me. It's God talking to you. Oh! No. Go back to bed, and if you hear your name called again, say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Listen, I'm 56, and I think that I would have cried for my mother. I'm just saying that to think about this little boy. Samuel, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Those are the little boys we want to have, and those are the little girls we want to have. In this church, Lord, help us to this end. Do you know what he got to hear? He got an earful. He got an earful. The earful was that I am sick of Eli and what he's allowing his sons to do, and I'm going to wipe out his family. And when I wipe out his family, I'm going to do it in such a way that this whole nation is going to be a buzz about it. Goodbye, Samuel. He gets up in the morning and goes and opens the doors to the temple. It's called a temple here. Does that bother you? Does it bother you to, for a building that's a tabernacle to be called a temple? I love things like that in the Bible. Every time I find them, I shout for joy. Contradictions in the Bible. Love them. They feed me and fuel me. 
He opens the doors, and Eli says, Come here. What did God say to you last night? You better tell me all of it. Now, it already told us that when he opened the doors, he was afraid because he wasn't looking forward to communicating to Eli what he had to tell him. You tell me everything. And what does it say? Verse 18 of chapter 3, And Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. That's wonderful. He was obedient. Do you know how easy it would have been to compromise a little bit and say the Lord was just checking in on you, just checking about you a little bit or something, you know, just to make it up. You know, children make up stories all the time. But this little boy was committed to truth, and I just want us to to look at this example. When we look in the Bible and God raises up five great men that were intercessory for other men, did he make the cut? Did Samuel make the cut? Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 1, he made the cut. He made the cut with Moses. Moses and Samuel could intercede and pray for the whole nation. And God would hear them and deliver the nation. Who taught them to be so considerate and compassionate of others? God the Holy Spirit, of course. But but Hannah taught Samuel that way as well. Samuel was so gracious that when the nation came to him and said, We want a king. Do you know what that was saying about Samuel being their judge for 20 years? We don't want you anymore. You ought to read his statement to them. It is so glorious on that occasion. We're thinking about Hannah's mothering of Samuel. Who taught him to humbly follow instructions perfectly in such an intimidating situation? Who prepared this little boy to grow into a man that God walked with and revealed himself to this man? Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. And Samuel grew. Of course, he had growing to do. He was just a little boy. Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. He was a great man. There was, there's, hint, there's indications that Elkanah and Hannah knew about this greatness that was coming. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And Hannah did such a great job in the few years that she had with him that he was a great man of God. Look at chapter 12, and I'll show you that little passage that came out of this man's mouth when he was fired from his job and they wanted a king so that they could be like the nations. There's a reason Samuel wasn't a very good father. He followed Eli's example in that matter in his life, and so the the nation hated his sons and their fraudulent dealings. Verse 20 of 1 Samuel 12, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. What a great, noble, loving warning Samuel gave to the nation. Verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. This is a people. This is a nation. This is a church that had just fired Samuel. God forbid. Where'd that, boy's char- where'd that man's character came, come from? It came from being a boy. Where'd that boy's character come from? It came from a great mother. It's a mother that the Lord has singled out in the Bible and given us more of a description of how she got this child and how she committed this child to the Lord from his birth and how she gave him to the Lord 
when she had weaned him. I want all of us to be encouraged about our children. And my goals at the beginning are the same goals that I have here at the end. Are our children lovers of the Word of God? Are our children lovers of prayer? Are our children lovers of God? Are our children lovers of Psalm 27.4 that I preached to you a few weeks ago? One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Samuel dwelt in the house of the Lord. He was a judge for 20 years. Let's love our children that way. And where we have failed, ask the Lord to forgive us sometimes with great anguish, but the Lord hears the cries of His people and does forgive. And let us press forward. And if if our children are out of our homes, let's encourage the other children in this church. Let's encourage the parents in this church. Let's encourage those that don't have children yet to prepare themselves. Let's encourage those whose children are between one and five to be the best parents that they can be and that they can instill character now. We instill knowledge later, but it's character It's the love of God. It's the love of others. It's the basics of our religion. It's sharing. It's obedience. It's promptness. It's respect. It's compassion. Character issues that can be taught very young. Let's be excited about doing it. Let's be thankful for every one of our children. Let's make them great in the sight of the Lord. Let's remember this woman, her situation that she was in, her character, her prayer, and her mothering. What a little lad she had. And the Bible tells us quite a bit here about Hannah and then Samuel, as he becomes the judge of Israel. And then they have a king, and it doesn't turn out too well for them. But he continued as long as he was alive. You know who anointed David. And then Samuel died. But I want to tell you where he lived. Do you know where he lived? He lived in Ramah. His mother got to spend quite a bit of time with him in his latter years. If you go look up where Samuel lived... The Bible's full of wonderful details. And I know the Lord loved Hannah for what she gave to him because the Lord gave her three other sons and two other daughters. And Samuel moved back home when he was judge and didn't have to be at the tabernacle. All praise to God. May we be the parents that we should be, the grandparents that we should be, the church members that we should be, and the pastor, that we will train some children that love the house of the Lord and love the Lord of that house and His Word. Amen. Amen.